little bit um, in uh, the welcome there uh, about our, our winter weekend trip and just want to share with you guys, man, myself, our leaders, about eight of us, we went up to winter weekend in Michigan, hanging out with the students here and I had a lot of kids that signed up, had a awesome time. Um, before we get to the good stuff, I got to share something bad. Michigan in January is bad, okay? If you want to go to Michigan in January, just don't, okay? Go somewhere, stay here. It's way warmer. So actually one of the mornings, uh, I, we were talking with some of the leaders. They're like, yeah, some of the girls from our cabin. Uh, in fact, one of the girls that goes here was, you know, it was like they were up running at like 7.30 in the morning. And it was, I think it was six degrees that morning. So not really sure why, but those were some hardcore cross-country runners. So kudos to them. I didn't run. I stayed inside, not about to do that in six-degree weather, all right? Um, but we went up there, had a great time. We had uh, the Saturday night, we had our message that was just about, and just starting that relationship with Jesus. And we had 10 students that night from just Tiffin that made that decision. And so, man, we're just, yeah, we can praise God for that. Awesome, awesome. But it gets better. Uh, after we got back a few days, I think it was Tuesday, I got a text from one of our, our leaders here that there was another student that talked with that leader and said, you know, uh, I didn't make that decision at winter weekend, but I want to make that decision today. And so like last Tuesday, after we got back, they also started their relationship with Jesus. And so that's actually 11 students as a result of winter weekend. Yeah. And so I, I said that, I just, man, I, I was, in fact, that Saturday night, I mean, there's a lot of things. I'm not, like an, I'm not an emotional guy, but there's a lot of, it's like a lot of things that get me too emotional. But one thing that does is when our students make that decision. And uh, man, it was just awesome to see. And I just said that to say this, uh, if it wasn't for you guys supporting students to go, you know, a lot of them maybe had not made that decision. There's probably, I think we had like 13 students that had scholarships to be able to go. And that was just, Several of you guys come up to me, there's a lot of you guys come to me and say, hey, we want to sponsor one or we sponsor two or we want to sponsor three students to be able to go to winter weekend. And uh, again, I mean, if you guys didn't do that, I just wonder, like, would they have made that decision to start that relationship with Jesus? So thank you guys so much. That's, that's just awesome. All right. So got a question for all the ladies. Guys, I want you just to, guys, just sit back. Please do not raise your hand when I answer this question. All right. This is just for the ladies. All right. How many of my ladies at Grace Church, say, I like me a Hallmark movie. Just, you're unashamedly, wow. Kate went, Kate is excited about that. Okay, there is, okay, so a lot of ladies love the Hallmark movies. Now, here's the deal. We just came out of the Christmas Hallmark movie season, thank goodness, okay? Um, so here's the deal. These Christmas Hallmark movies or Hallmark movies in general, chick flicks, however you want to word it, right? They kind of all have the same plot. Um, one more thing I want to th say about this. These, these Christmas like Hallmark movies, they start in July or, or August or something, right? Like, why do they do that? Well, it's 90 degrees outside. We don't even be thinking about Christmas now. Um, anyways, uh, so here's the deal. They all kind of have the same plot, okay? There's this girl who's from the city and she finds this local farmer, country guy who's got a perfect physique, right? He's got a big, beautiful smile, you know, and uh, he's new to the town or something crazy like that. And she, you know, she notices him and she starts talking with him. He doesn't have any past relationship drama. There's no, you know, other girl that he's dating and he's available, he's single, all this fun stuff. And uh, so, you know, it's kind of the plot of how it works. And then there's like, there's 
there's always some form of a big like tragedy that happens. There's some kind of tragedy, you know, um, or, you know, something right where the emotions get get really stirred, and and then if it caused some issues between the two of them, like they talk about it, and then she goes back to the local coffee shop, uh, and she sits down with her girlfriends, and they have a whatever they drink, and, and they talk about this, and they get all squared away, like, it's good to go, and they just decide, you know, I'm gonna just pursue this relationship with this guy, and then it's happily ever after on the farm, you know? I mean, that's that's kind of how the Hallmark movies, like, that's, that's kind of how they go. And if you're a, a guy, I hope every guy would say that, that's, you know, you do not want to watch those, all right? Uh, but they're filled with emotion, they're filled with tragedy, and they're also filled with romance, all right? Guys, husbands, if you're wanting to get out of this over the next few weeks, you're wanting to, to get over, you know, not have to sit down with your wife and watch the latest Hallmark movie or the latest chick flick, um, got news for you. Just be at church, okay? Um, because here's the reason why. We're going to be digging into and looking at the first original Hallmark movie, or the first chick flick, that is the book of Ruth, where it's a love story between Boaz and Ruth. So guys, I'm helping you out, myself and Zach. We're going to help you out. So you don't have to torture yourself watching those movies, okay? Um, but here's the deal. This book is so much more than just a love story between these two individuals. All right, this book is so much more than that. You see, it is another example of God demonstrating his love to his people then in the Bible and also to us now. And he does that in some unique ways that we'll look at. Uh, the story of Ruth is gonna show us that, man, Christians, as Christians, that we all face times of uncertainty, of, of even, man, death and, and doubt and loss and just tough, difficult things in life, but even those, those times and those circumstances we go through, that God is present and he's still faithful. And just like he was then, he's still faithful now. And he may seem unseen. He may seem like he's in the background of the story and he may seem like he's in the dark. But what we're gonna see is that God is working his plan through people. See, I personally do like the book of Ruth a lot. And, you know, it, it, it's unique from a lot of the books in the Old Testament in that there are no recorded miracles that are in the book of Ruth. It's just, it's just God working through ordinary people. It relates to us. See, God, he primarily works today through people who day in and day out, they just choose that, hey, regardless of the circumstances of my life, I'm just gonna choose to do life God's way and bring about his plan. I mean, think about it. It would be really cool to see the Red Sea part, and to walk across in the dry ground. I mean, that would be an awesome, awesome miracle to see when Moses splits the Red Sea or to see the burning bush and to hear God speak out of the bush or to see Samson and, you know, God just give him that strength where he knocks down those pillars in that Philistine Colosseum. I mean, it would be cool to see all those, but in reality, those just don't relate to us nowadays, right? That's why I love the book of Ruth. It's just normal, everyday decisions to follow God and he works out his purpose, just in, in plain, regular ways that, again, helps us to connect with this book more than maybe some other books. See, in our story, we're going to see that some, they choose to follow God. They choose to do life God's way. But on the reverse or flip side of that, we're going to see that some, they choose not to, and both have consequences and results. This is something that, as we go through the book of Ruth, 
whether maybe we're talking about the difficulties of loss, like we're going to talk about in this week, week one, or maybe whether we're talking about the provisions that God gives in chapter two, three, and four. See, we have to keep before us that God is present and he's at work in Ruth's life then and he's at work in our life now, even when everything seems a mess. And so let's go ahead, let's jump right into this and we're going to just go ahead and go right into it. Uh, chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2, it says this, During the time of the judges, that's important, we'll come back to that, uh, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's uh, name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of the two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Okay, so there's a lot that we have to unpack before we even get to the main focus of Ruth chapter 1. Ruth, it's written during a, a dark time in the nation of Israel's history. This is, this is God's people uh, who he has chosen. Uh, it's just a dark time. Uh, the author, she, he gives us a glimpse of really just how dark it was. If you go back to that first verse, it says, During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. All right, so if you know anything about the time of the judges in the Bible, it was, it was a, a difficult time, okay? That's God's people. They were really just kind of doing their own thing. They were in this vicious cycle, and we've got a graph we're actually going to pull up here that shows us this. God's people... Essentially, they were just doing life their own way, okay? They were just sinning, didn't really care about the people, didn't care if it was right to God. They, they just had no regards to that. And so they just lived life however they thought was best for them. Not for God, not for others, just for them, okay? And then what would happen is God, through a judge, that's the time of the judges, he would send a, or he would send a judge that would bring about discipline through God, um, through famine, uh, just different various uh, ways that God would discipline and then it would eventually lead to the people repenting, which really just kind of a churchy word that means this. They would say, God, we're sorry, and we're coming back to you. We're, we're obeying you, okay? See, God, he would discipline because God disciplines who he loves. And as a parent, if you're a parent here, you can relate to that. I mean, we don't enjoy discipline, but out of love, it's something that we do because we want our children to make better choices, wiser choices, God-honoring choices, and to get them back on track. And that's essentially what God's doing here. Saying you guys are you guys are kind of doing life your own way, don't care about me, don't care about others, and we got to change that. We got to get you back on track. Essentially, you could summarize really this entire time in Israel, you would summarize it up by the last verse of Judges 21:25 and it says this, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did whatever seemed right to him. Again, not right to God, but right to him. So we have this guy, Elimelech, that's with his family. He's living in this time. And, and again, no regard to God, no regard to what's right. God sends a famine, which we see in verse number one. That's kind of what they were going through. It hits and it wipes out all their food. It wipes out all their water sources. And they're just, and they're, they're, they're struggling, right? Faced with this, Elimelech, he decides, you know, Instead of staying where I know I'm supposed to stay, I'm going to leave this place. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go outside of where God wants me. I'm going to leave this place and go somewhere else. Now, I want to say this real quick. Again, for this, he's saying this for this famine. We don't get, we don't understand anything about famine. Like anybody that's in this room, we don't understand anything about famine, okay? And the only thing that we have that was even relatively close to famine freaked everybody out last year, right? With our toilet paper shortage, all right? So 
You go, to the, you go to the grocery store, get yourself some toilet paper, and you have to wait weeks because it wasn't there. What, I mean, like, we don't understand a famine. It's hard for us to relate or to understand this. I mean, this is where they were at, though. Elimelech, he chooses to go to an interesting place. He chooses to go to Moab. This was Israel's enemies. So he goes to Moab for their help. He decides, I'm not going to trust God. I'm not going to stay in the land that God has given us. I'm just going to go to Moab, pack up 50 miles, and, and head over there. So he drags his family into a country that is, that is just honestly, they're completely godless. All for the purpose of what? His physical needs being met. So he packs up his family and leaves, goes to Moab, which they were considered godless because its descendants were from Moab, who was a son of incest between Lot and his daughter, daughters back in Genesis 19. And so the very beginning of Moab, it's rocky, it's rough. And then there was a hostility between the two groups of people, the Moabs and Israelites, because the Moabites, they served, they worshiped a god called Kamosh, uh, which was just a false god that was, you know, back then, it was actually the fish god. And uh, they were in opposition, obviously, of the one true God who is the Israelites' worship, being Jehovah Yahweh God. See, Elimelech's decision to leave Israel, it was a statement that he did not believe that God would provide for him or his family. And then he also believed that the enemies of God, that they would do a better job at supplying his need for him and his family. See, in Ruth 1, we see the impact of bad choices and how they can affect not just us, but those around us and our family. Sometimes we, we make bad choices, and I think all of us would agree we've done that. And then we would also say that people have made bad choices that have impacted our life. Elimelech's bad choice it's going to impact his life and have a lot more consequences that we'll actually look at in Ruth chapter 1. So while in Moab, tragedy, it starts. And honestly, it's just like there's, there's absolutely no stopping it. And that's where we pick up in our story. Verses 3, it says this. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. And she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah and the second was named Ruth after they lived in Moab about 10 years. And notice this. Malon and Kilion also died. And the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. See, we've all probably experienced times where it's just, it, let's just say this, it's a bad week. Okay, it's like one bad thing after another, after another. Okay, I mean, we've all, has anybody experienced like just one of those weeks? Maybe it was recently. We've all had those times where there's one bad thing right after another. Okay, okay, awesome. I got some people that are like, that was this week for me. Okay. I know in my life I have, and in fact, it, it was just recently, the week leading up to winter weekend and the week right, or a couple days right after that, um, I was, uh, you know, just the week started off bad. I go to the gym Monday morning, and I'm doing this box jump that's stupid, ridiculous, and I miss the box, and I bust my leg, and I'm bleeding everywhere, and then I go two days later, and I sprained my ankle as I jumped off the box wrong. It was just a couple things that were bad, Now I want to say this real quick, okay? It started off a little bad, but that's not really that bad. Busting your leg up, you know, bleeding everywhere, it was not that, not that big of a deal, okay? But it gets 
a lot worse than that, okay? So we go to winter weekend, and here I am hobbling around, students making fun of me because I'm like busted up, you know, trying not to slip on ice. And so we go up there, awesome time, get back, and Sunday night, uh, I'm, you know, I'm the old youth pastor, so I'm like trying to catch up on sleep. It's like eight o'clock, and I'm just chilling on the couch, watching some football, and hear a knock on the door. I'm like, okay, you know, go out there and open the door, and there's a sheriff standing there. So instantly, I'm like, great, what did I do? Did I leave leave a kid up in Michigan, or, you know, what's going on here? And so uh, he's like, hey, are you you Andrew Lewis? I said, yeah. He said, do you own uh, any, you know, white Chevy pickup? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I've got, yep, I got one of those. And uh, he's like, let me ask you this, where's the last place you had that? I was like, um, so we had a student conference, and I'm like, I'm kind of like nervous at this point. I don't know why, but I'm a little nervous at this point. And uh, I was like, well, we had a student retreat, up in Michigan, and so, uh, you know, I'm with Grace Community Church, I'm the youth pastor there, and so I left my truck at the church, and he's like, he like looks down, he's like, well, um, your truck's been stolen. Uh, you know, I'm like, okay, this isn't, this is, this is where it gets bad, okay? It was not that bad, now it's, now it's getting bad, bad week, okay? And uh, so he's like, yeah, he's like, uh, we found that out in a field in Bloomville by Garlow Park, um, and so, you know, we should probably go get them. Like, okay, yeah, so I actually, so I don't have a vehicle. My wife is gone. And so I go and I ask a buddy, hey, can I borrow your vehicle? You ride with me. We'll go down to Bloomville and get my truck and we'll come back. And uh, so anyway, so yeah, we, we get that. We head down there and we go out to where the field is, where the truck is supposed to be. And the truck's not there. It's, it's gone. It's not where it was. And so, you know, I'm like, you know, I look at the sheriff and he's like, it was just here like an hour ago, but it's gone. And I'm like, I know that. You know, and so he, uh, so he tells me like, well, I'm going to check a few suspects out. You go back to the sheriff's department. So before I come back to the sheriff's department, I just decide, talk to my friend. I'm like, maybe, you know, we just, so let's just swing by the church. Let's just see if it's there. It's, it's, I mean, it can't be, right? It's not there. Well, I come to the back of the church and lo and behold, guess what? My truck's there. The bad news is over with. It's great. I'm happy. Right? It's good. Well, uh, the sheriff, he comes out and meets me here. So I call him and tell him, like, hey, my truck's here. Well, what had happened is this. Someone had stolen my license plate off my truck, and they put it on another truck that was, like, exactly like mine that's in Bloomville, apparently, okay? And so I'm talking to the sheriff about it, and he's like, yeah, you know, we'll let you know when they find the guy. So the next day, they actually, they find the guy, and they get the license plate. So we're talking about Monday, just this past Monday. And so I'm like, okay, great. I can't, I can't drive my truck. You know, he wouldn't let me drive it home. I was hoping he would let me do that, but he wouldn't. Hey, I had to leave it here. And so he's like, okay, well, um, you know, they, they found the truck. And he tells me, you know, hey, yeah, we'll get you your license plate right away. So Tuesday, I call three or four times. And they're like, you can't get the license plate. Wednesday, Thursday, I call three or four times like every day until Friday. The secretary is finally like, listen, you're not going to get your plate back. It's being held for investigation evidence. And so you're going to have to go buy a new license plate. So I finally break down, go buy a new license plate, and I got one, okay? So, and now my truck is on the road. We're good to go. And we needed it this morning, okay? We definitely did, all right? Now, I share that to say this. Like, it was kind of one of those weeks where it was just one bad thing after another, after another, after another. Now, let's be honest. That's really not that big of a deal, okay? It worked out in the end for me, all right? But we've all had things maybe like this, they're not really so serious that have happened in our life. See, but in our story of Naomi and Ruth, it's, it's way more severe and tragic things that they're faced with. Maybe you feel maybe like Naomi this morning and you're hurt and you're going through tragedy and it's like one bad thing right for another. And think about Naomi. I mean, first her husband passed away, Elimelech, this you know, guy that decided they need to go to Moab. You know, he passed away. Then 
Her sons, they married Moabite women, which again was the enemies of Israel and probably would not have been the first pick of a daughter-in-law. And then third, both of her sons, they die, Malon and Kilion. See, Naomi, man, we can't even imagine how she's feeling. She's left with no one, no husband, no sons to provide for her needs. And now she's, man, she's in a place, right, that's not her home in Moab. And in this culture, what we have to, have to get in our context here is like women couldn't really provide for themselves then. It was just different in that culture. Maybe now it's different, but then it was hard for women just to survive. It would have been hard for these three widows just to survive in that culture. It would have been almost impossible. But then this is where we see a shift in the story and we start to see the true character of the one who this book is written about being Ruth. See the story, it transitions from them in Moab to now they're leaving Moab and we pick up in verse number six. She and her daughter-in-laws, they set out to return to the territory, uh, from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living accompanied by her two daughters-in-law and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. See, nestled in verse six, the author, he gives us just a hint or really of hope from God that shows that he is gonna take care of his people. The Lord, uh, it says that he, in, in verse number six, says that he paid attention to his people's need by providing them food when they're in Judah. Now, just go back to earlier, why did Elimelech leave? Elimelech left Judah, Bethlehem originally for the purpose of meeting his physical needs. And now he dies and Naomi comes back. Comes back, she knows that again, she gets this rumor that God is taking care of those physical needs. Man, why did Elimelech, why, why did he leave in the first place? He should not have left. See, in the entire book of, of Ruth, the author only directly mentions God two times. God is mentioned 23 times in the entire book, but most of the time it's in conversation between Ruth and Boaz or Ruth and, and Naomi. So he directly mentions one of those times is actually right here in our verse number six, where God, again, he provides. And, and Naomi, she, again, she hears about this. She decides, man, I, I've got to go back home. I've got to go back to my homeland because God, he's providing for us. And this is true for us even now. I mean, it's an awesome picture of Jesus providing a way for us. I mean, we were messed up, right? We were broken. We were living for ourselves, doing life our way. We were like the time of the judges, doing what was right to us, not to anybody else or not to God, just completely living for ourselves. And what did God do? He provided a way for us to have a relationship with him by sending his son, Jesus. I mean, it's the whole reason why Jesus came is that we were broken, messed up, and God wanted a personal relationship with each and every person. In the next few verses, Naomi tells her daughter-in-laws that it's, it's time for you guys to go back home. Like, it's time for you to go back to your families. You're, you're Moabites. You don't want to come to Bethlehem with me. Uh, you need to go back home, save your families, and, you know, find another husband, and life will be better for you there. So she decides she's going to take this journey back home. She kisses them and, and weeps with them, insists that they go home. And we don't really know why she's wanting them like so, you know, to go home. And maybe one of the reasons is just the fact of three widows living together in one household is gonna be almost impossible just, just for them, again, to be able to survive. Regardless, though, one of them, that's Orpah, she returns home. She goes back to the land of Moab. But the other, that's Ruth, 
has a different response. And again, we see Ruth's character come out in this verse 114. It says this, Ruth clung to her. It says that Ruth, man, she just, she decided she was going to go with Naomi. And the word clung, it's the same word that God uses all the way back in Genesis between Adam and Eve and when he mentions marriage, again, between man and woman. Again, and, and Ruth is just saying, man, regardless like, of what you go through, Naomi, like regardless of the loss we've experienced, regardless of the hurt that we've went through, regardless, I'm going with you. Like, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to do this thing called life with you no matter what. Death or life or death, nothing can separate us. And we can see that really illustrated in her words. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return not, uh, and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I'll be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. Ruth recklessly abandons her life before to serve and to be loyal to Naomi. They've gone through so much already together and she wants to be there with her. And then Ruth would go on and she abandons her life when she decides to follow God. See, we, before we get to that decision of her following God, man, there's, there's some great application we can make here. We cannot miss this awesome example we should follow. You know, each and every week as a student pastor here at Grace, a few student ministries, each and every week I challenge our students on Sunday mornings, you know, even a few Sunday nights, if I see them throughout the week, I challenge them to find, to get one of their friends and bring them to Fuse. To get one of their friends and bring them to a big event like Winter Weekend or like our Alpine trip. We do that for the purpose of sharing Jesus with them. Um, I mentioned that we had 11 students that came to know Jesus that, again, started that relationship with Jesus at Winter Weekend or as a result of Winter Weekend. Awesome, great stuff. Out of those 11, four of them had never been to a church before. I mean, so just think about that. God has put people in our life that he wants us to connect with. He designed us for relationships and for relationships with others and in those relationships to be able to show Jesus like Naomi does with Ruth. God uses things like hobbies. He uses things like work. This is our college. He uses our high schools, our junior high schools. He uses our passions to connect us with people that don't know Jesus. Shall we share Jesus? I mean, how are they going to hear unless we share that with them? God uses Naomi in that same way to connect her faith to Ruth, who then starts following God. I mean, and we see that all throughout the, the New Testament, especially. Philip, uh, Jesus, he comes to him one day, and, and he, all Jesus says, hey, follow me. Philip, he drops everything. He says, okay, I'm going with you. I'm following you. The God of the Bible, the God that you've heard about for years and years and years. And then what does Philip do? The natural reaction. He goes... He's excited about his faith, excited about this Jesus. He goes and he finds his best friend, Nathaniel. He grabs him and all he says is this, come and see Jesus. Like, come and check him out. Like, you're my friend. I'm excited about this. This new relationship I started with Jesus. I mean, I want you to come and see this guy named Jesus who the Bible has talked about for years and years and years. And what happens? Nathaniel eventually follows God. See, in life, and this is what we as Christians, we should be about on our day-to-day -day basis. And we should be about sharing our faith, living out our faith. Even in tragedy, we can still see God working through Naomi and, and putting others to God. 
the hurt Naomi experienced, it was real. I mean, what a better time to share your relationship with, with a, about, or share relationship with God with other people than in difficulties. And it could lead to others following God. Not always, but it could lead to that. See, apparently Ruth had seen Naomi's faith throughout her life, and, and honestly, Ruth, she just, she wanted that faith. It's in that moment in verse 16, Ruth says, your God will be my God. It shows us that she's following the true living God. She's starting that relationship following God. This reckless abandonment from her old life, it's so huge. And maybe it's one that we really don't understand. When, it, when, she, tells, uh, when, she, when she tells Naomi, she's like, your God's my God, your people are my God, are my people. What we don't get about that is, is she's saying, you know, Naomi, if I go with you, which I'm wanting to go with you, I desire to do that, I'm cutting my old life off. I cannot go back to Moab. My family rejects me if I follow God. My life before, my friends, they, they reject me if I follow God. I cannot go back to that life. That's all she's saying. The story goes on. The two of them, they traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local woman, women explained, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. Hmm. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? See, Ruth and Naomi, they start their some 50-mile journey back to Bethlehem, coming from Moab, and, and she shares that her experiences, they've been anything but pleasant. She tells her old friends, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. In Hebrew, the word Mara, the name, it means, it literally means bitter. She's saying, don't call me Naomi, just call me bitter. Like, don't call me by my name and what it means, just call me bitter because of everything that I've went through. But what we can pull out of this is we can still see Naomi's really faith in God and see how she's trusting God, even though she doesn't understand it all. She recognizes God as, as almighty. She calls him out as almighty in verse number 21. See, regardless of what she's facing, ultimately she gets that God is in control of her life, that God's in control of her situation, even though it's, it's been bad, even though it's been difficult, even though it's been ugly. And, and honestly, it sounds a lot like Job's response. If you remember just a few months ago, we had our Job series and uh, we talked a lot about what he'd faced with, what he lost, his frustration, how he was upset at times. But he still claims again and, and holds that, that God is almighty. And he, he kind of does something similar in Job 27 too, as Naomi had just done. He says, almighty has made him bitter. Again, recognizing that the almighty is still in control, but it's difficult. It's the same word, that word almighty is the same one that Naomi uses. In verses 20 and 21, Naomi, uh, she recognizes that her life is in a dark place. But no matter how dark, she realizes that God has never left her. And I think we have to get that in the story of Ruth chapter 1. There's, there's bad things going on, but God never leaves her. God was still working and still moving. The circumstances of her life, they were being allowed for some reason, and she may not know up until this point, but there are reasons why. See, I'm sure that we can all share, man, times that, 
were painful in our life, times that were hard, times that were tough, and they maybe brought us really to asking God why, like Job, or asking God why, like Naomi. And it's like, we don't get it. Why would God allow us to go through this? It's supposed to be an almighty, loving, caring God, so why does he allow this? See, we can learn through Naomi that God, he uses these times in our life to test our faith. Faith that's never tested is a faith that's weak. What if Naomi, and she decided, you know, I'm just going to go ahead. I'm going to give up on God. What if she decided, like, right then and there, when everything happens, I'm just going to forget God. I'm going to leave him behind. And what would have happened? She just totally forgot about God. Think about this. She may not see the end of the story. She may not get to see all that God is going to do. And we'll talk about that in the next three weeks. God does some incredible things, some awesome things. See, if you could put yourself in Ruth's shoes, just, just think about that for a little bit. I mean, she's in a city that views her as trash. I mean, based on the reputation of Moab and the Moabite women, she was viewed as dirty. She was the enemy of that town. Many scholars think that when she came to this town, that she faced harsh criticism, that she faced mistreatment from others, just knowing that she was from Moab. Ruth, she would shine as one of the godliest and most loyal humble and exemplary women of human history. See, Ruth was never part of a big church or never part of a big worship service or anything like that. But she still makes that decision to follow God. Naomi, even through her pain and she had gone through, she still shared God with Ruth. And our story closes out, verse 22. So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Bethlehem, we know this. It has such significance for obvious reasons. Jesus' birth, I mean, it's huge. We know Jesus is born there. That's awesome. I mean, it's epicenter of, of Christianity and the Jewish faith. At the perfect time, they come to Bethlehem for this time of celebration and excitement, the barley harvest, which was a month-long, really, time of, of harvesting. And we're going to see specifically how God, he uses a guy named Boaz to meet the physical needs of two widows, being Naomi and Ruth. See, even with all the tragedy that takes place in Ruth chapter 1, we can still see God working out his plan in Naomi's life. And we see that mainly because Ruth made that decision to follow God. But again, we'll go over the next few weeks. We're going to see, and we're going to look back, and we're going to see how God, again, he... It's still how, how he works, even though it seems like he's unseen. And this is also relatable to us at the church in Tiffin, Ohio in 2021. Our life, it may seem like it's falling apart. It may seem hopeless. And if you're a Christian, we can have faith that God, he is working. We can have faith that God, he's working all these things according to his plan. And Naomi should get to see how God uses her and the life of Ruth to do some incredible things that she probably never would have imagined. But it took months, guys, it took years for her to see that. We may feel like God is unseen. We may feel like God's in the shadows of our life right now. We may feel like he's not working on our behalf. We may feel like he's not even in the story. What we have to remember is the story and then also the words of Paul in Romans eight twenty eight. He says, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. 
Maybe God, he's allowing pain. Maybe he's allowing hurt. Maybe he's allowing loss right now in your life for the purpose of connecting with others that are going through that same thing. I mean, that's what Naomi and Ruth, that's what they're going through. The same tragedies, losing a husband. Maybe God's allowing that, still connect with others going through that and then share Jesus with them. See, what we're gonna find out in this book is God's gonna be faithful. And it may seem like he's unseen because he's not doing these crazy miracles. And his name isn't found littered throughout the whole entire book of Ruth. But he's gonna be faithful. Really, I guess we need to ask ourselves this. If God is gonna be faithful to us, will we be faithful to God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've given to us. God, thanks for letting us just jump into your word and, and look at an awesome example of how to do life in tragedy, how to do life in loss. Book of Ruth. And a lot of people would say, God's not in the book, he can't be found, but if we're honest, that his evidence is everywhere. That his evidence is everywhere. It's all over the book. Help us. God, as we go through times of loss, times of hurt, and times of tragedy, remember to be again, like Naomi and try to see the bigger picture as difficult as it is. Even while we're asking, God, why are you allowing this? Help us to see that you have a purpose and you have a plan. That purpose and plan could be like Naomi, to share faith with other people that do not know you so they would come to faith, so they would trust in you, they'd start that relationship. God, help us to remember that this morning. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.